0: Welcome guys, one and all to week 10, our very last episode of the EW binge of Harry Potter. I'm Mark Snettiker
1: and I'm Molly Smith and I'm full of emotion and you are too Mark, I'm sure.
0: I this is this is like this is dramatic. This is sadder than when the Battle of Hogwarts happened and you know some <laughs> major characters died and some some were feebly stirring. Today's episode is um, a, a doozy, uh, and it's a little complicated. So here's here's what we're going to do. Uh, obviously, today's episode um, is partly devoted to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which is the stage play that J.K. Rowling has not written, but uh, uh, helped conceive of and produced in London, which is also coming to Broadway in the spring of 2018. And it is the eighth story, the official first sequel to um, Deathly Hallows, picks up 19 years later. A lot of stuff happens in this play, and it was released as a published text.
1: It came out on Harry Potter's birthday, July
0: 31st. So you may very well have read this by now, but obviously spoilers alert if not. But that's not the entire part of today's episode. We have so much we want to talk about that we just didn't get a chance to discuss throughout these last 10 weeks. That um, we're not going to go full into Cursed Child. We're going to do a little Cursed Child, a little Pottermore wrap-up, and then sort of just go through what everyone's up to. And I think the way we're going to lay this out is the 10 things we now know after Harry Potter has ended. Right, Molly? Right. Yeah. So Harry Potter and the Cursed Child will sort of be the undercurrent here. But, um Join us for our very last episode of the EW Binge of Harry Potter as we dive into the 10 things we know after Harry Potter ended. So on this dramatic note, um, we are going to begin our top 10 list of revelations uh, at the end. Um, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child picks up immediately after the epilogue in Deathly Hallows, where a grown-up Harry Potter and Ron and Hermione are sending their children off to Hogwarts. Now, number 10 on this list are the children because what were once just names in this little scene in Deathly Hallows have now become full characters in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. The play is essentially, in a nutshell, about the woes of Albus Severus Potter, Harry's youngest son, middle child, uh, with Ginny Weasley, Ginny Ginny Weasley Potter now, or just Ginny Potter, I think she's... uh, I think she's just Ginny
1: Potter, but uh, Hermione does a little hyphen action, which I like.
0: Yeah. Um, So the Potters have their three children, and Albus, for some reason, is the one who's most living in the shadow of Harry. Uh, They've got the older son, James, James Sirius who has gone to Hogwarts and has very much inherited both of the names that he's named after. He's a Gryffindor. He's a prankster. He's a troublemaker. Uh, very much an original marauder. Harry made the mistake of gifting him the invisibility cloak, so you know what trouble he gets up to Maybe of that's that. the
1: secret to James being more like Harry than Albus. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, and he's... Uh, he's more like Harry in the sense of the adventure and the the, you know the disregard for rules he stole the Marauders map from Harry which says it all yeah and um, you know so James is doing well at Hogwarts but when it's Albus's turn to enter Hogwarts he's nervous he's nervous uh, that James has done kind of the exact perfect thing that a son of Harry Potter should and Albus is nervous he's not going to do it he's most nervous of all that he is going to be a Slytherin
1: I think what's interesting about that is that his his concern about not being like his father really hinges on what house he sorted into and that house being Slytherin. And then it just escalates from there. But, you know, there is that whole speech in the epilogue to Hallows um, and at the beginning of Chris Child as well, where Harry says that, you know, Snape was a Slytherin, it's a great house, and he himself was almost sorted into that house. So it's just crazy to me, I guess, that that perception still exists.
0: Well, what's interesting is that Albus confides in his father, Harry, about his fear. And it's truly the last time that he will confide. Because as we learn in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, the entire plot hinges on Albus being sorted into, spoiler alert, Slytherin. A Potter is in Slytherin. And the very fact that a Potter is in Slytherin kicks off everything. It's the reason why Albus begins to truly have a miserable time at Hogwarts. The complete opposite of his father. He does not like going there. He does not find it to be a a second home because he's a potter in a house that is so not potter. um, He's called the Slytherin Squib. He doesn't exemplify any of the traits Harry did. Um, He's terrible at flying. He hates Quidditch. He struggles in classes. He's terrible at potions. So a lot of this is not just because he's a bad student and not just because he's in Slytherin, but because his father was none of these things. So that is what really defines the Albus that we come to know in Cursed Child. The first three years of his time at Hogwarts are told very quickly in the first half of the first act of this play, which is a four part play. So you understand why Albus blames Harry for so much of his misfortune.
1: Can you imagine living in Harry Potter's shadow? Like it's amazing to me that James turned out as well as he did frankly.
0: Well, it's an interesting um, comparison, because James went into Gryffindor and was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. There was no Paul cast on him because he was in Gryffindor. The moment Albus was a Slytherin, the most judgmental of all was him, but it's not fair to say that he was the only person standing in his way. Like, people treated him differently because he was a Potter and Slytherin. Like, that very phrase just sounds so so ridiculous, and it really just... It, it it ruined Hogwarts for him. The one good thing he does have is Scorpius Malfoy, who is the son of of Draco Malfoy, and the way they meet is, is super cute. Albus gets on the Hogwarts Express with his cohort, Rose Granger-Weasley, who is the um, same aged daughter of Ron and Hermione. It's their oldest child, and we know that they were best friends since they were six, but... Rose ends up being in Gryffindor, and that causes a rift because, um, you know, if you, if you went into this play thinking, oh, Scorpius, Malfoy, Rose Weasley, and Albus Potter, they're going to be the new trio, you're wrong because um, it's pretty quick when they meet Scorpius Malfoy on the train to Hogwarts that uh, this is not a trio destined for friendship. Rose rejects Scorpius Malfoy because there's a rumor kicking around that he's not actually Draco Malfoy's son. He is the son of Voldemort. And that is a rumor that curses Scorpius. So now we've got two friends, Albus and Scorpius. They're both shunned, they're both Slytherin, and now they're best friends.
1: Which, like, what a crazy rumor. I think about all the stuff that I hear on, like, reality TV and everything, and it's like, oh, she cheated on this guy. Like, I don't know, they went to this party without me, whatever that kind of thing. And then the son of Voldemort? Like, what? I Like, when I first heard that, I had such <laughs> a hard time wrapping my head around it. I mean, am I alone in that? I don't think so.
0: No, not at all. Um, it's, it's a shame that uh, the only kid of Malfoy's, everyone basically knew that they had some trouble conceiving at first. And so that's why I think there was a lot of uh, rumor about the parentage. And Malfoy is such a name that's inextricably linked with Voldemort, even though he is long gone. It's it's a genius move by Rowling to add this little rumor in there that even though Voldemort is gone, his presence is still felt and it plagues Scorpius. Draco Malfoy himself does not very much like this either, but uh, we will get to him in just a moment. So that's basically where we are in Cursed Child. Albus and Severus are on their own they aren't really friends with that many other people they're shunned but they have friendship with each other and that's the that's the best part of it all well and i think um,
1: that's something worth mentioning i mean you were talking about how opposite harry and albus are to one another but the thing they do have in common is the value of those friendships and that's definitely something that's tested as we continue on in the story
0: right so uh you know their fathers though do not like this friendship they think the other one is bad for the other Um, So they each kind of forbid their kids from hanging out, which only uh, serves to turn Albus further against his father.
1: It's that whole idea of like if your mom tells you to wear a sweater when you go out, you're not going to wear it like in spite, you know?
0: Yes. And Albus and Harry have a huge, huge, huge fight, which kind of gets us into the main plot of Cursed Child, which I don't want to spend too much time talking about because – it, it is a little complicated, but uh, there's some time travel, and it, it's a whole thing. Before, before we get into our next sort of sec- section, I do just want to wrap up. Who are the other kids of um, Harry Potter's friends? You know, you, you've got Rose Granger-Weasley. She's got a younger brother named Hugo, who is um, R and H, just like Ron and Hermione, uh, which is super cute. That's cute. Um, you've got Teddy Lupin who is raised by Andromeda Tonks, his grandmother, after the death of his parents, sadly. And we know a little bit about Teddy. He doesn't appear in Cursed Child, which is a shock. I really thought he would.
1: Yeah, you would really think so, considering the weight that Rowling has sort of put in Teddy following the end of the original Potter books.
0: Yeah, but we do get mentions of him uh, existing and doing quite well. He is a Hufflepuff, and he goes on to become head boy in his seventh year. So good for him. Teddy's still out there um, killing it. He's got a girlfriend. His girlfriend is his fourth cousin. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> the uh, daughter of Bill and Floor, their oldest, is named Victoire Weasley. That was a nice um,
1: pronunciation.
0: Thank you. I hope I didn't botch it. But she's the oldest. She's got Bill and Flor have some other kids, Dominique and Louis. And um, yeah, Victoire and Teddy are seen snogging quite often. Mm. Uh, they probably bonded over the fact that both of their fathers were attacked by werewolves.
1: <laughs> I mean, is that not your opening line when you hit on people, Mark?
0: That, that is my Tinder bio. <laughs> And then finally, you know, just some other kids. Luna goes on to marry a guy named Rolf Scamander, who is the grandson of famed zoologist Newt Scamander, and they have twins. Uh, we don't see them often, but I like to imagine that um, there's a whole world of fanfic about Lorcan and Lysander mirroring Remus and Regulus. You know, kind of these uh, ancient myths based on these ancient names. There's got to be some fun there. So let's move on to number nine of things we now know about Harry Potter. This is also born from Cursed Child. Let's talk about the adults. Harry, Ron, Hermione, Ginny, Draco. They are now adults. Molly, what are they up to? Start us off with uh, Hermione Granger.
1: Well, I think the big thing is that Hermione is Minister for Magic, which is huge, and I love it, and, like, girls rule.
0: (laughs) Yeah. She is not the first female Minister for Magic. That was a woman named Artemisia Lufkin. But um, I like to think Hermione's the coolest. Now, Hermione inherited the role after the departure of Kingsley Shacklebolt. He's been serving as Minister for Magic since 1998, and it has now been about 19 years. We're not sure what happened to Kingsley. I don't necessarily think he has died, but-
1: Maybe it was just time, time to go.
0: It was just time to go. So Hermione is Minister for Magic, which is a democratically elected position. It's only offered to people in times of crisis, But Hermione, we can assume, was democratically elected because, let's not forget, she is one of the most famous witches in existence. Tales of her intellect have been told over many countries and moons, and I don't know what I'm saying. But she's also on a chocolate frog card, so she's got the dumb vote, too.
1: (laughs) I think it's interesting, too, when you think about the whole arc of Hermione, how unlikable she was at the very beginning, and then to be elected by her peers is pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it, there was no other job that would have done justice for Hermione than this. Even though Dumbledore had been offered the position several times and turned it down, I'm not sure if we would have enjoyed Hermione having a different job and knowing that she like turned it down a bunch. Like, no, she would not turn it down. I suppose you could argue like she could be headmistress one day, which I think she very well could be. I would, I would wager that Hermione Granger is the next headmistress after McGonagall.
1: I am not going to bet against you because I think you're right.
0: Yeah. So what about her husband, Ron Weasley? He began his life, like most of these kids did, as an Auror immediately after Hogwarts. But then he went on to leave the ministry, as Ron is wont to do.
1: Yeah, Ron. Ron's not about that, uh, I don't want to say responsibility, but I don't know, that seriousness. Life. And you really get a sense of that here. I mean, he starts managing weasley's wizard wheezes the joke shop that was started by fred and george and he's also like master of dad jokes like if i had a nickel for all the dad jokes in this
0: yeah i do love that Rowling has conceived of ron as like a paunchy total dad bod like he probably watches quidditch on saturdays he's probably not good with his kids not to say that's a good thing but like He's just, like, classic lazy dad, as Ron absolutely would have been. Ron is super lazy, and he's married to the Minister of Magic. Like, that's crazy to me.
1: I mean, I guess it makes sense in a lot of ways, but I also kind of take issue with the way that Ron's written. Like, I don't think he's stupid, but he reads kind of dumb to me.
0: Yeah. I actually I don't really see him as being, like, the head of Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. Like, he's there to help out George, but, like, That's George's thing. That's not Ron's thing. Ron should not be running the joke shop. I would have liked to see something different for Ron. But uh, his greatest accomplishment was being on a chocolate frog card. So in his eyes, he's fine. Like (laughs) he's, he's, he's fine. There's Ginny, wife of Harry, who began her life after Hogwarts as a Quidditch player and then went on to retire early and become a senior Quidditch correspondent for the Daily Prophet and then sports editor. And then there's Draco. Molly, what's Draco up to?
1: Well, Draco is also at the ministry.
0: But just like his father, we have no idea what he does. (laughs) Like, nobody knew what Lucius Malfoy really did other than, like, be a ministry uh, guy. And, like, Draco is truly, similarly, uh, an annoying ministry guy. He's probably very much like Percival Graves. He's probably some security aura, just, like, angry guy with a wand. He looks very much like Yaxley. You know, he's uh, just generic ministry thug.
1: <laughs> I think that's on his business
0: card for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and then the last adult to talk about in this segment is Harry Potter himself. Harry Potter fulfilled his lifelong dream of being an Auror. He became head Auror by 26 years old. And then he became the head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement. The very same department that almost expelled him from Hogwarts.
1: What I think is interesting about this is that, I mean, obviously they spent so much time fighting the corruption within the ministry. And I guess this is the best way they know how. But it's just, I guess it's a little funny to me that they were so anti-ministry for a while and now they're all there working.
0: Yeah, you have to remember the Ministry of Magic was an antagonist to Harry's journey the entire way. Um, They have never been keenly helpful, even when you had people like Kingsley installed in the bureaucracy. The ministry was never anything more than a thorn in Harry's side. They, it, it, that was the, the, the best thing you could say about the ministry was that they were either a thorn in his side or not there at all. You know, they never actively helped. So for them to now be running the government is actually a noble thing to hear because despite them not being helped by this government, they're Gryffindors. They do things for other people. And um, Harry and Hermione are now changing the world for everyone else. They're they're revolutionizing the aura department. They're restoring peace and um, making the ministry. Oh, my God. Making the ministry great again.
1: No. Take that but like back. They, but, like,
0: they are. They are. But I mean, they're actually right. doing it. They're not sending jobs to Bobaton. <laughs> Just kidding.
1: Um, should we move on to our next adult who is so great he gets his own number eight?
0: Yeah. Number eight. Things we now know about Harry Potter after the books ended? Neville Longbottom, Hogwarts professor.
1: So Neville basically goes on to become a professor of herbology. Um, He briefly worked as an auror as well, um, and then became that herbology professor. Married Hannah Abbott, which I feel like is something you're excited about, Mark, because that's a name I've heard you throw around quite a bit.
0: Yeah, you know I love me the the fringe Hufflepuffs, the Hannah Abbott's, (laughs) Ernie McMillan's, and Justin Finch Fletchley's of the world. I love that Neville married Hannah, who <laughs> went on to become the landlady of the Leaky Cauldron.
1: Amazing! I'm into like, what it. is
0: that? That's hilarious. They lived in the Leaky Cauldron.
1: Speaking of fanfic, that needs to happen.
0: Yeah, but um, uh, to the point of people wondering why neville you know wanted to go after luna in the movies even though they don't get married <laughs> matthew lewis who played neville gave an interview is like oh it was, it was a summer fling like that's how he <laughs> explained it away which is kind of hilarious i
1: mean honestly if you think the world might possibly end aren't you just gonna go for like your hot friend why not you might as yeah, well there's no
0: reason there's no reason he didn't have a crush on luna at the time that could be canon too
1: they're both kind of quirky so i could see it anyway yeah
0: Hannah and Neville are both childless, which kind of makes me sad because, like, why did you have to end Neville's line? Like, that's the end of the long bottom line. And I also it's, feel it's, like it's Neville done. would be
1: such a great dad.
0: Well, he's the godfather to Albus Potter, so that's that's sweet. It's just interesting where what Neville has been up to. It's funny because that is something we all knew was going to happen. Everyone knew Neville was going to be a herbology professor at Hogwarts. It was the only thing that he was good at. He didn't need to be a professor he could have just been a herbologist you know i'm surprised he didn't write the fantastic beasts and where to find them of 2016. but i think
1: he just has a deep love for hogwarts i mean considering everything that he went through there
0: yeah some other things about neville he was almost going to be in hufflepuff he was one of a few known hat stalls uh which is when the sorting hat just can't decide he was afraid of Gryffindor he didn't think he was he deserved it it was it was daunting to him and he so he asked to be in Hufflepuff just like Harry asked to be in Gryffindor but uh glad the the hat did not listen to him because it does not have ears other things he has Trevor the toad but no longer because as we know Trevor has escaped into the Hogwarts lake
1: what do you think Trevor's up to nowadays
0: I think Trevor is dead
1: you think like the Myrrh people went after him
0: yeah, or i also just think, like, if Trevor was anything like his owner, he did not last well in a foreign environment. <laughs> um, so I think Trevor is dead. Did you know Neville was originally, A, supposed to be short, B, supposed to be blonde, and C, supposed to have the last name of Pup, P-U-P-P?
1: No, take that back. I don't want to hear that. Well,
0: that don't blame me. Blame Joanne. It's Rolling, so interesting. Not, it's like when we Gaga. were
1: talking to Alfred Enoch about how his character was... Supposed to be named Gary, when you hear these things after the fact, it just feels so wrong.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, speaking of Gary, <laughs> Gary Thomas, Gary Dean Thomas, um, we don't know anything sadly about, about the following folks. We don't know anything about Dean. We don't know what happened to Seamus. We don't know what happened to Parvati Patil um, or her sister. We know that George went on to marry Angelina Johnson and they had a son named Fred and that a daughter named Roxanne, which so is super sweet, sad.
1: Sweet, but sad.
0: I know, uh, and and that's kind of it. Uh, and then we know about Luna. We know Luna went on to become a magizoologist. She was a famous naturalist in the wizarding world. She went out looking for all the creatures that she swore existed. She was never able to find the Crumplehorn Snorkack, and eventually came to terms that it didn't exist, which is sad because like that's the death of hope right there. Like you, you're um, basically spending the entire I haven't series. come to terms
1: with it yet. We're keeping that hope alive.
0: Are you looking for a crumplehorn snorkack? Is that your Tinder?
1: Yeah, that's my plan for Christmas <laughs> and also my Tinder, yes.
0: <laughs> and yeah, so Luna marries Rolf Scamander, who's the grandson of Newt, and uh, they're both just super kooky people who know a lot about fringe topics in the wizarding world. So I do like that, and I like the idea that Harry's closest friends really did go on to good things. I do wish we knew more. I would love a little bit of a digest of what happened to Dean and Seamus, Cho Chang? I mean, we don't know anything about what happened to Cho Chang. She's probably just,
1: I don't know, practicing her Patronuses. That's the last we saw, like, in the DA. <laughs> That's actually is not the last like, we saw. Did we see her in the battle?
0: Yeah, I mean, she survived the war. We're, we're pretty confident Cho survived the war. But um, are we rooting for a world in which Cho is single? Like, do we want, after so many years saying no to Harry, do we kind of secretly want her to be, like, a spinster, i
1: think that's a little vindictive i think she was never outwardly (laughs) outwardly mean to harry um i can't say i'm rooting for a world in which she's a spinster but maybe like a (laughs) few years of spinsterdom you know like eventually i want her to be happy but like maybe learn what it's like not to be the popular girl i don't know totally
0: i guess any other hogwarts students went on to be teachers molly
1: Yes, I don't know. It's not like anybody's immediately coming to mind who I'm like, yes, that person, absolutely. I mean, let's say Lavender Brown is alive, actually, because we always find a way to talk about Lavender. Maybe she'd mm-hmm. teach divination. We know she loves it.
0: I imagine Cormac McLagan probably burnt out and went back to Hogwarts to be, like, the gym teacher. Like, he might be the flying instructor. Oh, um, I could
1: totally see that.
0: You know? I like to think Lee Jordan um, went on to be, like, a big-shot Quidditch announcer or sports guy. Absolutely. Um, I think we talked to Alfie Enoch about how Dean Thomas would probably just be, like, a Quidditch dad. You know what I mean? Yeah, he and
1: Seamus would, like, be, you know, watching games and drinking their butterbeer, all that.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of it. Like, I bet bet one of the—I bet the Patil sisters did well for themselves. They were always super smart. I bet they're, like, at the ministry, too, like everybody else is. Like, you clearly can only work at the ministry— or, or Hogwarts, like, and like yeah, maybe like, like a
1: sprinkling of like Hogsmeade. I bet stores. Seamus
0: Finnegan moved to Hogsmeade. He's probably like, I do not want to go to London. I am staying in Hogsmeade. Seamus um, is
1: not a city boy. No,
0: no, he's a country mouse for sure. Absolutely. Um, so if you've got any fun ideas about what you think the students of Hogwarts are up to, tweet us, tweet us, or email us. Um, well, you know, this is our last episode, but I still would love to know. Um, I think this is the next generation of like revelations that J.K. Rowling has for 2017 but let's move on to some of the adults that we know number seven of things we now know after Harry Potter ended Professor McGonagall she went on to become headmistress of Hogwarts which is a role she was always destined to have Molly I, you've been clamoring for 10 weeks now about <laughs> how you want a Professor McGonagall uh, <laughs> prequel so I'll let you take this one what what do we know about Professor McGonagall that was revealed These last few years.
1: Yeah, Rowling, she came out on Pottermore and basically delved into the backstory of McGonagall. And I could really see this being like a indie coming-of-age story. So just like imagine that as I'm like going through and telling you these details. So she was the first child and only daughter. Um, Her dad was a reverend and mother was a witch. Her mother, Isabel, didn't tell her husband Robert that she was a witch um until she was basically forced to do so they get married she kind of conceals her magical abilities and when they have McGonagall let's call her Minerva she didn't go by her last name at this point and she starts showing that she has some magical did she abilities. go by Minnie
0: do you think <laughs>
1: oh my god it's so hard to picture Minnie but probably <laughs> <laughs> so little Minnie starts showing magical abilities and eventually Isabel is sort of forced to tell her husband and. They stay together, and he still loves her, but I think he really struggles with the trust that was broken, you know, by her keeping that secret from him for so long. Flash forward, McGonagall goes to Hogwarts. She, like Hermione, takes very well to school, Transfiguration in particular. Dumbledore is the one that teaches her, which is important later because, of course, she does end up taking a Transfiguration job under his, him sort of heading that department. But eventually... Minnie falls for a muggle boy like her mother. Dougal McGregor was his name. He was a handsome, clever, and funny son of a local farmer.
0: I'm sorry, Dougal?
1: It's very possible I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but Dougal McGregor. So anyways, he proposes. She says yes, but then she takes some time to think about sort of the strain that she saw with her parents and and keeping that secret. And so she goes back to him and tells him that she can't be with him which is so devastating. Like, this would be, like, a really, like, tearful moment for me. But she can't tell him why because of the international statute of secrecy. So then she goes to London, works for the ministry. She doesn't like sort of the anti-muggle bias that's sort of prominent there at that point because she still loves Dougal and because her dad was a muggle as well. And so she writes to Hogwarts, and that's when she gets the transfiguration job under Dumbledore, who's heading that department. Dougal eventually married the daughter of another farmer, and it was like so devastating to her. And it's Dumbledore who finds her in tears. And this is kind of like the foundation of their deep friendship. Like they're very reserved people, but he told her all this like backstory with his family. And, um, yeah, which he, he
0: probably came out to her.
1: I would like to think so. And I would definitely like to see more of that in the Beast sequel, but.
0: I wonder if, um, you know, I know we mentioned that like it would be nice to see young McGonagall in uh, in the Fantastic Beasts series if she truly was like the I I would like to see her as the Hermione to Albus Dumbledore. You know what I mean? Like Albus, everybody needs a foil. So if we're going to meet young Dumbledore in Fantastic Beasts, we're not only going to see him interact with Grindelwald, you know, or or Newt. He's going to have to have other scenes with other people. And I like to think that we're going to see a young McGonagall. I just can't imagine we couldn't. Like that's just too iconic of a character and too perfect in this timeline. And everything you just said is like, I don't think we'll get like those flashbacks. But I like the idea that Dumbledore becomes friends with McGonagall, and like their entire relationship is not just based on respect and academia, but on just just friendship. I, I it, it's very much the power of friendship in Harry Potter, and uh, I would love to see more.
1: Right, and I think what I was just describing really shows that they are actually friends. And I think it's really nice. And it's like, yeah, if Grindelwald is going to have possibly like Lita Lestrange as his Bellatrix or whatever, then why wouldn't Dumbledore have his Hermione, you know? And we know Harry Potter is yeah. all about mirrors. So shipping for all of Totally. That. But there's more, more to many. Um, her old boss at the ministry, which I'm about to butcher Elphinstone Urquhart say that five times fast. <laughs> uh, he proposed to her repeatedly, and she kept saying no because she was still in love with Dougal. But when Dougal died, which RIP, very sad, it kind of let her go in a way, and eventually she did accept that marriage proposal. And this is where it gets especially devastating because they have three happy years of marriage, and this is what Rowling wrote. The accidental death of Elphistone from a venomous tentacular bite Three years into their marriage was an enormous sorrow to all who knew the couple. Minerva could not bear to remain alone in their cottage, but packed her things after Elphinstone's funeral and returned to her sparse stone-floored bedroom in Hogwarts Castle, accessible through a concealed door in the wall of her first floor study. Always a very brave and private person, she poured all her energies into her work, and few people, excepting perhaps Albus Dumbledore, ever realized how much she suffered.
0: I'm not going to lie. You kind of lost me a little bit uh, in the middle there. (laughs) It's good to know people kept proposing to her.
1: Right. But the point is that McGonagall, as much as we, you know, we saw her as this sort of strong, strict, but also really caring person. But deep down, she was suffering. Isn't that horrible?
0: Girl, we all are. But yeah. yeah, But it's
1: especially sad with McGonagall, who's like such a maternal figure. It makes me sad. And. Maybe actually after this, there's fanfic, but also I'll start writing the screenplay. Wait for it,
0: guys. (laughs) Fantastic mini. Cool. Well, so that I now know so much more about McGonagall than I ever thought I would. And I would love to say we could talk about other teachers and what they went on to do. But let's be honest. We just don't know anything like we don't know anything about Sprout or Flitwick or some of these other brilliant people that we came to love. But that just means more fodder for J.K. Rowling to write on Pottermore.
1: Right. There's still a lot more that we don't know about the professors, but I do think something that's notable that we'll get into a little bit later when we talk about alternate universes is that we see the return of really prominent professors in Dumbledore and Snape and Umbridge. And Snape, I think, is especially noteworthy because we get to see Dumbledore again in Hallows, but Snape just dies in hallows here we get to see him again and it's the first time we're really getting to interact with this super important character
0: so number six now uh that was a lot of McGonagall, and now um we're gonna do the opposite of McGonagall, which is well that could be answered a lot of ways but uh number six biggest revelation about harry potter voldemort had a daughter and now it's time to talk about delphi diggory delphi? well her name is Delphini. But she goes by Delphi, I suppose. Um, but Delphi is like a, a ancient Greek word. So she was born in secret to Bellatrix Lestrange and Lord Voldemort sometime in the 90s before the Battle of Hogwarts went down in May 1998. She was born at Malfoy Manor. And after both her parents were killed and Rodolphus Lestrange, who was Bellatrix's husband, was sent to Azkaban, there was nobody to take care of her except for Euphemia Rowell, who is a uh, Death Eater. Or, like, lady of a Death Eater who took her in, raised her, was not particularly kind to her, but um, did not let her attend Hogwarts and kind of just really crippled Delphi in a really, uh, I think it's Delphi, but whatever, uh, crippled (laughs) Delphi in like a really weird way. You know, she didn't have friends till she was 14, she says. She had imaginary friends. And then it's only when Rodolphus Lestrange gets out of Azkaban either by escape or by release, that he tells Delphi about everything that she was born from and her true parentage and a prophecy she was meant to fulfill.
1: So that prophecy is when spirits are spared, when time is turned, when unseen children murder their fathers, then the Dark Lord will return. So Delphi kind of makes it her mission to... Use Albus and Scorpius to go back in time and save her dad, the Dark Lord.
0: It's kind of a really weird prophecy. There's not much logic to this. It's very just like convenient. And this is where it's sort of like you can take Cursed Child as canon if you want. But like the plot of Cursed Child to me is just like it exists just on that stage and like not anywhere else. Do you know what I mean?
1: No, totally. I mean, and I think that's so interesting too, the idea of like, well I can take this or not you know because to me it's like if it's coming from the creator of this universe like shouldn't it be canon but I think there are so many flaws in it like I one of the things that really sort of bugs me that we've talked about a lot is how throughout the original books and movies you know Rowling never really exploits a lot of the devices that she creates like we have Time Turner in Azkaban, but we don't really see it much beyond that. And we have Polyjuice Potion in Goblet of Fire. And then so when it was used as sort of the plot twist in Fantastic Beasts, it's sort of like, well, we've seen that before. And I think it just felt a little too familiar having the Time Turner be the crux of the story.
0: Right. So that will sort of lead us into the fifth thing, which is uh, Time Turners and Objects. But before we leave uh, Delphi Diggory, you just should know that, yes, she brings Albus and Scorpius on this crazy Adventure to restore time and go into these alternate universes that we'll talk about, but um, I I don't know. I, Delphi hasn't been given the most positive reception from fans, not just because she was masquerading as Delphi Diggory, like the the niece of Amos Diggory, who was old and confounded. But mm-hmm. um, I don't I don't know. It's like was she the villain you were dreaming of? One did you know? Did you? I I. It's funny. I never in in the years since Deathly Hallows ended, I never thought, oh, I wonder if there was a kid. You know, I just never let myself think of that. It it didn't occur to me. And so I like the idea that, oh, Voldemort had a daughter. But, like, is that too, like, Star Wars Force Awakens? You know what I mean? Is it too on the nose of sequel?
1: Okay, well, here's my other big thing. I'm not really sure about Voldemort's fertility. Like, you die, kind of, and come back and split your soul. Like, are you able to have kids? I don't know if I believe that could happen.
0: Like I'm pretty sure not many of his bodily systems work, so it's like the logistics by which Voldemort would have a child with Bellatrix Lestrange. Like he doesn't have a nose. Are there other things he doesn't have? And like, Um, very good
1: point. Also, we need to talk about Bellatrix's baby bod because if she was supposed to have had Delphi when they were hanging around Malfoy Manor, and then you see her at Battle of Hogwarts, and she's like smoking hot I'm not sure that that would happen either
0: (laughs) right we only see her broken out of Azkaban in what was it like book five I think yeah Uh, yeah so it's like oh okay she must have had the kid sometime between like 1995 to 1998
1: we know that she has a kid in how at the beginning of Hallows when they're hanging out at Malfoy Manor So I just... Like, that timeline isn't working for me. Unless she has, like, a um, kick-ass, like, boot camp trainer. But I don't really see that (laughs) happening when you're trying to, like, win over the world.
0: Yeah. it's uh, You know what? It's an admirable um, uh, addition. It's an admirable plot twist. I think it would have worked better in a book. I think that would have been a great little uh, book reveal. But it works for a play, I imagine.
1: When you say... That fans haven't really taken to her—is it the idea of her or her as an actual character?
0: I can only speak for my own opinion. I think I—I I accept her as nothing more than like a plot twist. I don't really love the idea that Voldemort and Bellatrix had a secret love child. That just sounds to me like a like a joke, like something someone made up or was trying to punk me with, you know? But Ashton, it's, it's, come out—it's canon now. <laughs> like it is canon that Voldemort had a kid. With Bellatrix, like that's an insane thing to me. That I don't think works with I, Voldemort's not a sexual being. Not I, I mean, he believes in immortality and he would believe in having progeny carry on his lifeline. But you know, do I do I necessarily think that it's a uh, you know the the best choice to introduce a character like that? I don't think so. But I like the idea of it narratively as like a twist. I just, I just think it's a, a little of a betrayal of um, what we know about the characters. Like, in my opinion, Bellatrix Lestrange would never have a kid. She would never, she would not want a child. I do not want to give her the maternal love we've given to Narcissa Malfoy.
1: Right, but I think it's not even about that. I think it's about her being so obsessed with
0: him and devoted to him. Obsessed with
1: Voldemort. And like, if that's what he wanted, I think she would go along with it. But I'm just not convinced. I mean, you make a good point about carrying on his legacy and everything. But I think you're right. I think he's, like, totally asexual. I just – I don't know.
0: So let's move on. Let's move on to number five in uh, things we now know about Harry Potter. The Time Turner and other such magical objects. Now, we've talked a lot about several of these sort of enchanted objects that have taken center stage and changed the the – story of of in in various books they hinge a lot on these big objects. So I thought we'd talk about a few of them just the things we now know about a lot of these. Obviously the big one with Cursed Child is the Time Turner. Molly what uh, has been revealed about the Time Turner?
1: Well Rowling actually went on to write a bit about her use of it on Pottermore. Um, She said that she went far too lightheartedly into the subject of time travel in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban While I do not regret it, Prisoner of Azkaban is one of my favorite books in the series. It opened up a vast number of problems for me because, after all, if wizards could go back and undo problems, where were my future plots?
0: Totally. So that's like a criticism that was levied against her for years was like, well, you introduced the time turner. Why couldn't they just go? Like, you know, it's like, why couldn't you go save Cedric like an hour ago? You know what I mean? Like, why didn't Dumbledore use a time turner immediately?
1: I think what this play really does is show the grave effects of messing with time and how that like even something as small as disarming someone in a challenge can lead to like major life events to shift the thing that I come back to as well is like okay so if the play is to show that you shouldn't mess with time then why did we trust Hermione with a time turner for class like even if she's only using it for class like couldn't she have really botched some stuff up
0: yeah, well, Rowling, you know, she wrote some some stuff about this. She wrote that she explained the Hermione thing by saying that uh, the ministry uh, approved of single hour reversal charms, which were enclosed in little, like, hourglasses, much like the one Hermione had. She said uh, that they're unstable and, you know, they benefit from containment, but... They decided that time turners were only going to solve trivial problems of time management. That they weren't going to uh, be used for greater, bigger purposes. Listen, we could belabor her excuses about time turners, but what you said is pretty clear. She like, you know, she's not going to say she regrets using it, but like introducing time travel and then trying to explain it away is just like that's a that's a sticky subject in in any kind of literature, movie, TV, book, anything like you introduce time travel you got to be prepared to explain every single element of it and when she introduced it she self-admittedly wasn't ready to uh to explain it away but that said i love that she i kind of love that she didn't think through it too much like i i it serves the story better it's only obnoxious people like us who were like well (laughs) why didn't she use it for five hours you know like for the purposes of a kid's book like yeah Here's, here's a time travel plot. Here's a plot about three events of a game. Here's a plot about uh, a magic diary. Like, you know what? She never reused it, and, and I think that's admirable.
1: Right, but I feel like, I don't know. I sort of accepted the time turner just within Azkaban. Like, it was okay to me that it was isolated there because the context that we see it in is just Hermione totally. using it for class in the one rare instance, but it's okayed by Dumbledore, right? But I guess I have more of a problem with it now seeing it Appear again, and that's when I'm starting. Like now is when I'm starting to have all these questions, like about why it wasn't used before and whatever. And I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, you're right. Like we are being a little obnoxious, but like, I feel like it needs to be addressed.
0: <laughs> totally, totally. But uh, I like that she regrets it a little bit. I it shows she's just human after all. She's not just a brilliant witch. Stars are um, just like us. <laughs> so, just a couple other um, items and things that we've learned about items. I particularly am fond of what we've learned about the sorting hat. We've learned that it belonged to Godra Gryffindor. We've learned it's a portal through which the sword appears. But I think most interesting of all is what Rowling has said about her plans for sorting. It wasn't always based on this magical object. Uh, She revealed a few things uh, as she debated how to sort students. The first was this elaborate machine like kind of like a Rube Goldberg machine a Heath Robinson machine that did all kinds of magical things before reaching a decision it's kind of like a uh, you know in Mary Poppins how Dick Van Dyke plays like the 30 instruments at once like that kind of giant it was just over engineered contraption that apparently sorted you so that's that's fun but she scrapped that yeah the second idea was having four statues of the four Hogwarts founders placed in an entrance hall which would come alive and select students as everybody watched. And that's actually a super cool idea. But uh, she, again, decided to abandon that. But and I'm, like, she-
1: picturing it in, like, a Mount Rushmore sort of way with, like, giant faces, <laughs> which is a little terrifying to me.
0: <laughs> totally. There's no reason, like, the portraits couldn't have come to life and uh, explained who they wanted in their house. Uh, but then she just decided the sorting hat um, was was the right way to go because she she literally wrote... I listed the ways people could be chosen. Eeny, mini miny mo, short straws, team captains, names out of a hat, out of a talking hat, putting on a talking hat, the sorting hat. Oh I love <laughs> so that. So I kinda just love that thought process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some other other items. There's obviously there's the Ponceive. I didn't know, but uh, apparently it's buried with you when you die. Like uh, it's like your wand. And Double Doors didn't, didn't belong to him. It, it belongs to Hogwarts. It was like a big library of reference.
1: So, uh, I guess the Hogwarts Ponceve then will never be buried since it doesn't belong to a person.
0: yeah, also, that has seen some shit. I'll tell you, right. Like okay, Dumbledore so, put everything about himself in there like what what did uh God? Can you imagine like that? like I the Ponceve should
1: really write a tell all. Screw you Rita oh Skeeter. my God, I would
0: love the ponceive's memoir. <laughs> like, but
1: okay, wait, so you're buried with your Ponceve, which I hate the way I say this by the way. But your memories could be held by somebody else, or will it hold on to all of your memories unless you? No,
0: your memories are theoretically like interred with with you, unless unless you want to like give them to give them to someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, like you 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 can sort of choose. But a lot of wizards apparently don't like the Ponceeves. The majority are just afraid of them. Um, they're rare. It's <laughs> not like the Weasleys just have a Ponceeve, like chilling in the kitchen poncies are not a thing people use a lot which i think that's a good thing to clarify you know it's not like this common source of wizard magic like wizard twitter right. like you put your good jokes in there you know it's
1: not like you i don't know are out like to dinner with friends and you're all recounting tales from college and you pull out the Ponce, even like just look at that instead <laughs>
0: <laughs> like. like when you find your old live journal for yeah. sure <laughs> um Last little object that I love and and think is interesting is is the Marauders map. Um, We knew so much about it, and we knew how it started. You know, it started because the Marauders wanted to help out uh, Lupin when he was transforming. But I I think what's interesting is what J.K. Rowling has said about it. In a similar vein of uh, regretting using the Time Turner, she has sort of said, quote, "Uh, I think it allowed Harry a little too much freedom of information. I never showed Harry taking the map back from the empty office of Moody, and I sometimes regretted that I had not capitalized on this mistake to leave it there. You know, it it gives a little too much info. There's a lot of things that we can sort of say, oh, well, why didn't Harry just look at the map, you know? But she did say it's at least uh, redeemable by the fact that in Deathly Hallows, Harry sees Ginny on it and, like, his heart flutters. Like, that's sweet, I suppose, but it's 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 interesting to hear an author go back and kind of not renege you know I want her to claim ownership of every piece of this this uh canon but it's interesting to hear the intricate explanations for why certain things like you know she sees the same plot holes we do you know she's just not snarkily calling them out like I am yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on to the, the fourth biggest thing now we've learned after uh, Harry Potter's ended. Let's talk alternate universes. So, as a baseline, none of these have actually happened. These are sort of the w- scenarios that conceivably happened during um, Cursed Child when Albus and Scorpius try to go back to save Cedric Diggory and end up creating, I think, like five different timelines. Um, Molly, you're a lot more into these than I am. Take us through some of the most interesting alternate realities that were were teased here.
1: They're obviously very complicated, um, but I'll just give sort of the general idea of what happens. Um, Albus and Scorpius and Delphi basically decide that the best way to save Cedric is to prevent him from winning the Triwizard Tournament, getting to the end, to the cup, which is the port key that leads to his death. Um, so the first one comes when they go back to the first task and disarm him so that he's not able to get the golden egg that the dragon's protecting. But that creates a whole situation.
0: Well, what happens is he's uh, Cedric is disarmed by the guys, but they uh, accidentally meet Hermione, and she sees them intervening. She sees them disarming Cedric, and she thinks it's Victor Crumb who basically set Cedric up to fail in the first task and so she doesn't go to the Yule Ball with Crumb she goes to the Yule Ball with Ron which in turn means Ron is not jealous which is something that you know Ron a lot of Ron and Hermione's courtship was mutual jealousy before they finally just admitted they were jealous so they never fell in love because Ron never had to overcome his feelings uh, you know about Crum and Hermione and his own jealousy so Ron Went to the Yule Ball with Hermione, but ended up dancing with Padma Patil, and they fell in love and got married and had a son named Panju Weasley. Um, and so in this timeline, Rose and Hugo do not exist. Her, um, Hermione, for some reason, <laughs> does not go on to be uh, the minister for magic. She goes on to become, like, a defense against a dark arts teacher. And, like, a very mean one at that. Yeah. Like, she's super rude, um, super unkind, um, which is fine. You know? Like... Nothing wrong with that, but um, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting uh, little dilemma,
1: and them changing the task didn't really matter anyway because Cedric still ends up dying. So all for yeah, nothing. worst of
0: all it's like it didn't work. Like yeah, like you like ruined
1: Ron and Hermione's relationship, and Cedric is still gone.
0: <laughs> yeah, so they decide now instead of just going back and saying that didn't work, they decide to intervene in the second task. And when they go mess up the second task by, like, embarrassing Cedric, which is really a stupid plot point, apparently Cedric is so humiliated by what the guys do to him, they make him, like, float out of the lake, that he's so humiliated he joins the Death Eaters.
1: Which I don't buy for a second. I don't think that's in his character at all.
0: I mean, apparently if you're humiliated, you go join the Death Eaters. Like, it's just a classic (laughs) high school situation.
1: But I do think, like, Despite me, I guess this is something that I don't really accept as canon. Despite that, I think it's important because it speaks to how truly important Neville is because when Cedric becomes a Death Eater, he ends up killing Neville in the Battle of Hogwarts. So Neville never kills Nagini. And so Voldemort goes on to win the battle and create this dark world.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it becomes, there's Voldemort Day and Umbridge is now headmaster or headmistress. And, uh... Snape is there too, and it, it's like all these things because Cedric dropped out of the tournament. Like I don't know. It's like I, I again. Th- look, this is a play. This is just for fun. Like, and you just have to remember this is all just for fun. These are alternate universes, but there is still some core truth to like, oh, that's what you think would happen. Which I, I don't know. I, that's why, you know. Not to belabor the point, but Cursed Child, man. Not everybody loves Cursed Child.
1: So basically, Scorpius sees this Voldemort world and fixes it. He does He does a shield charm so that Cedric never gets inflated and like humiliated and all of that. And everything sort of goes back to normal. So they come back to Hogwarts and lie about having the Time Turner because they want to destroy it because they don't think anybody should have it because they've seen... terrible things should go but of course that leads to another universe so basically long story short Scorpius sets the world back as it was kind of and they come back to Hogwarts he and Albus decide they need to destroy the time turner but Delphi sort of catches them and this is when she reveals that she is the daughter of Voldemort and takes them back to October 30th 1981 Um, and this is notable just because I mean obviously it's like the climax of the play but also Everybody thinks that Delphi is going to do the deed herself, kill Harry so that the killing curse doesn't rebound against Voldemort. But really, she wants to stop him so that his reign of terror continues. But the boys are able to get a signal to Harry and Jenny and Draco. Draco has been holding on to a time turner, which he never reveals because that would have just like fueled the my son is Voldemort's son rumor fury. And they get there and they defeat Delphi. But I think what's most notable to me about all of this is that Harry starts to empathize with Delphi because really she just wants to meet her parents to meet her dad. But he knows that that can't happen. And so you see Harry watch Voldemort murder his parents. And I think it's really sad, but I think it really shows how noble he is.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a super like it's it's a classic Harry Potter situation of of doing something truly for the greater good. Um, he could have, in that moment, just erased everything. He was there the night James and Lily died, um, and he could have uh, stopped it all from happening, and created his own alternate universe where he is is uh, the 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 happy one. But it's it's heartbreaking. It truly is heartbreaking. I can only imagine on stage. It's equally uh, tragic. But it's classic Harry, and and Harry is where he is now, and he's gone through what he's gone through, and for better or worse, he knows how it ends. And, um where he is 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 perfectly fine, you know, he's happy with the life he leads, and he made it through it. so I think it's something beautiful that he could have let an alternate universe happen and 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 chose not to,
1: yeah, but I think that's kind of it for cursed child um and there's still been so much that has come out since yes
0: yeah, so that d- that does wrap up cursed child. It's sort of like that's that's where you know it's it's a lot of stuff that just sort of happens and and gives you undertones of what might happen if certain things didn't happen, but at the end of the day the day is saved you know, uh, the time turns are destroyed, Harry and Albus connect again, and what begins as a strained father-son relationship ends not in a beautifully gift-wrapped way but what happens in Cursed Child sort of doesn't have any bearing on just anything else it's kind of like these are momentary character explorations, not so much definitive plot choices that uh, irrevocably change the way we see this series so yes with that let's move on to number three jk rowling has revealed quite a lot that has changed the way we see the series and a lot of those have come from twitter god knows i love a tweet but uh (laughs) do i love a tweet never heard that before right do i love a tweet that out of the blue decides to tell me that um hagrid couldn't do a patronus i don't know do i love a tweet that tells me that hogwarts doesn't have tuition i don't know like are these these little random facts that i need i don't know but i still dig them uh molly what are some of your favorite like jk rowling tweet revelations
1: well i have to say i really am not a fan of the tweet revelations i do enjoy getting like the backstory on pottermore because you can really dig into sort of the meat of it, but just something random like, oh, headline, headline, headline. Hagrid can't do a Patronus. Like, I don't need that. I've read about Patronuses. I know they're hard to conjure. I'm not surprised he can't do one. But like, it just I just don't think that's really the forum for revelations. But tell me. So your your
0: answer is that you don't have a favorite chicken rolling tweet.
1: Yeah, that is my (laughs) answer. And, you know, it's a fire take, but I'm sticking with it.
0: I dig it. Well, for for you listeners, uh there are some others that kind of made big splashes when she did reveal them. I like that she <laughs> just randomly decided to say that there was a Jewish wizard at Hogwarts. Uh, Anthony Goldstein is a Ravenclaw. Um, and I believe he's probably of the Goldsteins that uh Tina Newton and Queenie. Married yeah, I think Anthony Goldstein's probably the grandson unless it's like Queenie's kid and she couldn't take Kowalski cuz maybe like he's a nomad, I don't know. But yeah. There's Teddy Lupin. She revealed that he was a head boy uh, and in Hufflepuff on Twitter. She revealed that Hogwarts is a safe space for LGBT students, which is nice. You know
1: what? That's a tweet I can get behind because I think that's important.
0: Yeah. But funny enough, that's one that people get really angry about because it's kind of like her patting herself on the back of saying like, oh, yeah, yeah, I wrote a very gay inclusive um, book series. But it's like, well, you didn't mention it anywhere. So- you know, you don't just get to bask in the, the, Oh yeah. A Hogwarts was safe for LGBT students. Like you got to show it, you know, you, you, but that's something that people have had some backlash to.
1: Right. Um, and I definitely see the point of that, but I do really believe that we're going to get some of that in the beast movies. If not, I'll be disappointed, but I don't know. Uh, maybe there is like a, there has to be a reason to these tweets. Like let's say Goldstein, Anthony Goldstein is the son of Tina or something, you know, like, But I just find, like, the randomness of it all to be – it sort of rubs me the wrong way.
0: Yeah, well, it's like, oh, McGonagall had diabetes. Like, Ernie McMillan (laughs) was colorblind. Like, Justin Fitch Fletchley couldn't eat gluten. Like, these are weird things that it's like, okay, cool. I'm glad we now know it. You know, it kind of keeps us on our toes a little bit, and it's fun to read them. I do not like how the entire Internet feels the need to write a story about every single one of them.
1: Are you going to be gluten-free now since JFF is?
0: Well, that's just in my own head canon, is that Justin finch fletchley is gluten-free. I could never I know, be gluten-free. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I will say Twitter is also a space where I personally have taken to trying to get J.K. Rowling to answer my questions. I would say that right now she has not answered a single one of them, but I still hold out hope. You
1: want to tell us some of those, Mark?
0: Sure. There are some that I think I've actually asked on this podcast before, um, like whether Hagrid had any adult friends
1: my favorite of yours is what color is lavender brown's middle name that's the one that's my (laughs) most burning question of your burning questions
0: totally well here here i've I've got a here what have i asked her is there a boy's bathroom ghost and is he cute like i would like to know that like is there a moaning myrtle is there a moaning marvin you know well hopefully he's not named marvin can you drink from a ponceve can you text a howler did hogwarts do weddings How did Crookshanks feel about literally everything? Uh, Do all house elves know each other, or is that racist? Did Hogsmeade have community theater? Can you bake with flu powder? Just all sorts of, you know, questions that are really important that uh, I just feel like we should all know. Have any wizards won SAC awards? Will we ever know? I don't know.
1: I think there's a good chance that we won't know the answer to any of those, but I would like to.
0: (laughs) Meanwhile, now let's move on to um, number two this actually has nothing to do with things we actually know but as far as as long as we're on the topic there is a whole world of harry potter theories that i just think are absolutely hilarious i have a list in front of me that was written on screen rant of uh 17 crazy harry potter theories and these are just sort of compiled from years of blog and social media presences from fans and some of them, J.K. Rowling has actually addressed. So, Molly, I have a game for you. I'm going to read okay. all of these crazy Harry Potter theories to you, sentence by sentence, and you have to tell me, possible, absolutely not, or, oh, my God, you're so right. So, all right. <laughs> the Harry Potter fan theory game. Molly, these are these are real theories that people have, like, given evidence for. A lot of evidence for some, no evidence for others, but evidence nonetheless. Okay. First, Molly, Professor McGonagall is actually a Death Eater.
1: Absolutely not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no I mean, way.
1: That's, that's
0: completely stupid. The, the The evidence that people have said is that she's like dismissive about Muggles. I literally yeah, great, just said
1: though how she had strong feelings about anti Muggle sentiments, so that I right. just don't buy that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Arthur Weasley was under the Imperius Curse.
1: Possible, but I don't think so.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, Harry hallucinated the whole thing while living in the Dursley's cupboard.
1: Possible, but I would really like to believe that was not the case.
0: Totally. Uh, (laughs) And actually, Rowling spoke about, like, the whole idea that Harry's insane. She said, it's a fabulous and It speaks so perfectly to the truth of the books. I've heard it suggested to me more than once that Harry actually did go mad in the cupboard. And that everything that happened subsequently was some sort of fantasy life he developed to save himself. I, I think mean, that is hilarious.
1: We talked about the importance of that moment of Dumbledore and Harry at King's Cross and, like, imagination and things happening in your mind. Like, I think there's definitely reason to believe that happened. But it would devastate me if, like, magic truly wasn't real, you know? Totally.
0: Uh, all right. Here's another theory. Um during Neville's first flying lesson, Quirrell was trying to take him out. Remember that?
1: I, I'm on board with that. Yeah, I think,
0: yes. Might be fun. We talked about this one. The Dursleys are so mad all the time because Harry is a horcrux.
1: I think they're mad for a lot of reasons, but I think that's one of them.
0: I, 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 would, uh, I would buy it. I'd believe it. Theory number 12, Dumbledore is death.
1: Yes, I think so.
0: She actually says it's her favorite fan theory. People basically have said that Dumbledore is like the third. uh, He represents death uh, as told in the Deathly Hallows story. Um, Voldemort is the oldest brother who believes he can defeat death but has too much ego. Snape is the middle brother who's focused on true love. uh, And Harry's the youngest brother who hides from death with the invisibility cloak. And that just means Dumbledore is death. And J.K. Rowling loves the story. So I kind of love that, right?
1: I think it's super spot on. I'm on board with that for sure.
0: Totally. <laughs> Another theory is that Ron is Dumbledore. No. Broadway <laughs> <No. laughs> like, is way? a time-traveling Dumbledore.
1: Oh, my God. I can't with any yeah, more time I don't traveling. I really understand it. Bye.
0: I think it's kind of a stupid. The, the main evidence for this is that they both like candy. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay, well, that There's... is
1: kind of funny. I'll give them that.
0: There's one that Mary Poppins and Harry Potter both exist in the same universe. There's one that Crookshanks is actually um the soul of Lily Potter.
1: <laughs> I think it's possible that Lily's soul is maybe represented in some way, but Crookshanks, I'm not not buying that one. I guess Crookshanks is a foil to Scabbers in a way, but it's I'm I'm not totally there.
0: Yeah. Willy Wonka is actually George Weasley. Harry is literally immortal because he now can't die. But um I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure how we how we think about that.
1: I don't think he has the power to defeat death that he once had. Like I think he's very much mortal now, having destroyed two of the hallows and the horcrux part of himself I mean, he didn't destroy this, but the horcrux part of himself that was keeping him alive is now dead, so it's like he's like a real human being, you know? Yeah.
0: I appreciate you giving this more thought than I expected. Uh, <laughs> number five, Draco is a werewolf. I don't think we even need to really talk about that. Draco's um, definitely
1: something else, but I don't know
0: about werewolf. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically it. These are all just kind of like, these are silly, they're fun, but uh, the number one theory on this list is that muggles and wizards already fought each other and the muggles won. And it, it kind of answers one of the biggest questions, which is why do wizards have to hide? Like, why did they not ever, you know, establish domination over the muggles? Like, it, forget Grindelwald. Like, that's a very good question. And the theory goes there was a war, and and the wizards lost. But I I don't know. I don't think that's a that's that holds much weight.
1: I just take issue with it because I don't think the wizards would have lost. They have right. Magic like, why would not they like side? try again?
0: Yeah, totally. So those are just some silly theories. And obviously there are so many more on Tumblr. But um, as we depart this podcast, um, I just thought it was nice to throw a shout out to um, some of the crazier ideas that you you lovely folks have circulated. That brings us to the number one point Molly and I would like to talk about as we round out the end of this 10 episode podcast of all the things we've learned about Harry Potter and about the world. Over these last few years since Deathly Hallows came out in 2007, the biggest thing of all that seems to be a really pressing question uh, for us and something we want to end this podcast with is the question of whether to accept all of this canon. The fandom has never been more divided. Fantastic Beasts is something that has truly rocked people, people who don't want to accept the canon, people who don't want to take J.K. Rowling's tweets as canon or Pottermore as canon. Or even Cursed Child, which a lot of people said reads like fan fiction um, and which even you've heard my kind of reactions to uh, today. Molly, what are your thoughts on the split fandom? Um, And did you ever think this would be a situation we'd be in in the Potter community?
1: I didn't. This isn't something that I ever really saw coming. I do agree that it's split, but I think I didn't see it coming because I didn't expect it necessarily to go and expand in the way that it has. I mean, when I finished the original books and original movies like that felt so final to me. And I don't know why I really even thought that because like we're in a sequel reboot culture. That's like very clear, but I think it just has to do with things coming to new generations. And to me, it feels very much like star Wars, like the people who grew up on the originals versus the prequels, like the, that's a whole other subject. But I think it's just about like what you grew up on and, and what movies you obsessed over, and what books you obsessed over, and and I just I do think that there's a divide largely because of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you gotta you gotta believe in two two sides of it. You gotta think one: how lucky are we that this thing we love continues to be developed and um, not abandoned? I'm not a person who writes fanfic. I'm never going to write fanfic, so I don't fill in these gaps in my own mind. And I think you can argue every piece of information she reveals that precludes somebody's imagination from going in a certain direction, you know, it, it, it's, it's sad in a way. At the same time, I, I, think, I think we're super fortunate to have a writer who embraces and owns the wonder that she has cast over, over these readers. Um, our, our author loves us, you know, like <laughs> I sound like I'm starting a religion, but a lot of Hollywood people disavow themselves of the projects that made them um, icons. And here J.K. Rowling is stretching her adult legs in, you know, she's writing her Cormoran Strike novels. She's doing other things but at the same time she still revisits Harry Potter because she wants to. And not because she has to, not because we're begging her to. In fact, we're saying don't. And yet she is here, she is continuing the story, and she has created too big of a world to just abandon it. And I think... Whether or not we love all the pieces of the canon that she's now assembled and introduced, I'm thankful for any one of them because it, it gets me talking, it gets me thinking, and it gets me doing a podcast about Harry Potter years after I read the the novels for the first time.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, Cursed Child I didn't love, but it gives a lot of insight into all of the things that we'd already come to know because it touched on so many of, like, the big milestones of Harry Potter, right? And, like, I just think, I don't know. It is, it is at the very least an interesting sort of thought experiment. But I do think you can be – like, you don't have to be one or the other. You can sort of love the original movies and like Fantastic Beasts. Like, I don't think – I think it is a lot of gray area, as we've talked a lot about on this podcast. Things aren't black and white, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know what? There are a lot of themes that um this book series has introduced to us, and I know they've stuck with me. I'm sure they've stuck with you. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure that you feel them too. It is all happening inside your head, but it is very, very real. So whatever you think about it, I'm glad to be a fan and I hope you are too. And that I think brings us to the close. Molly, thank you for uh, exploring some magic with me. It's been fun for 10 weeks.
1: It's been super fun. I just thank you obviously and thank you to everybody who's been listening. It's been fun to revisit and discover new things. And that's what I love most about this series is every time I go back, there's something new to enjoy.
0: Totally. I have a whole new appreciation for so many things now. Themes I didn't even realize uh, were were such a part of this this story. So thank you guys for allowing us to unlock them um, for you, but also for ourselves. Stay in touch. Uh, I'll be at Mark Snedeker on Twitter.
1: And I'm at C. Molly Smith.
0: We certainly appreciate you guys joining us for 10 weeks. Maybe uh, we'll do this in another 10 years uh, to talk more Fantastic Beasts and whatever other magic J.K. Rowling unlocks. So until next time, stay magical.